Well, Shafiq, it's time for another recording. Let me just turn on the lights. Hits, you're still here. Hits. I never left. Oh, I think oh. we locked him in. Oops. I had things to do. Welcome to an episode of the Last King Podcast here over at the Last King Studios. And hey, Hids, you're still here. I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's one week. It's coming from inside. <laughs> <laughs> wow, is that a reference to a, a queer I mentioned? Now, anyway. Oh! I'm sorry. So, okay. Um, you just get past the obvious horror movie reference and just went there. Yeah, of yeah. course. So of course he went there. <laughs> get out. <laughs> no, come in. <laughs> so, boys and girls, this is the Last King uh, podcast over here. Uh, I am, of course, uh, Shafiq, and uh, who do I have here in the studio with me? You have Eccentric Tom, and of course, a special guest, uh, two times in a row, keeping yes. the streak alive. I'm here. I'm here <laughs> two again. Two for two. <laughs> Uh, this is Hits. Uh, I'm a co-host over at uh, two different podcasts. One is a geeky podcast called uh, Genre Equality, where we talk about everything from horror and fantasy to superheroes and sci-fi. Basically, the last king light. Yeah, <laughs> but you guys talk about other things, which I appreciate. Thank you. We talk about you too. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. And talk about me all you want. I talk about myself too much. Uh, and our other podcast is a pro wrestling podcast called Hard Hits Wrestling Podcast, alongside my co-host Hardy. He's the heart in hits. He's the heart in hard hits. Mm-hmm. He's the hard You're hard the hits. hits. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping the hits. <laughs> Those top 40 hits. There, anyway. we, there we go. Yeah. Uh, so I talk a lot and uh, I'm glad to be joined by a different co host this time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Right. Someone you're not sick of yet. <laughs> no one. Shout out to Hard. <laughs> is it? Yeah, it's Hard. I'm just going to call him Hard. Hard is also in my other podcast, General Equality. He's one of the three co hosts there as well. So I, oh, wow. s- I hear a lot of his voice. So, yes. Okay. Too many podcasts here yeah. over. <laughs> yeah. going on. But you know what? you're listening to this one, the most important one. And of course, whenever we have a guest uh, host on the show, it usually means it is our mid year roundup best of so far. And uh, if you listened to us last week, we were talking about our favorite TV slash Netflix slash streaming. Yep. And now the most important cat- uh, category of all Film. movies. Movies. Okay, the thing you pay $13 to watch and get disappointed with immediately. Yeah. Plus the $1.50 <laughs> booking fee. Oh, oh you do it online? Yeah. I do it online. Just go straight to the cinema, sir. No, because yeah. it's full by the time I get there. Exactly. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I'm in Pai Leba where it's a tiny scene. Oh, yeah, they have a pretty sick cinema there too, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, shout-outs to the Tampanese Film Guard Cinema for reopening and still not figuring out their sound system yet. Yeah. Oh I was gosh. a little bit disappointed You there. tried to watch Hereditary there, didn't you? Yeah, I watched Hereditary there and it just didn't hit you the same way that it should be because yes. I know there was a lot of emphasis with the sound design. The sound design was very precise and it, it's best experience with the Dolby surround sound. Yeah, and the thing mm-hmm. is they have this proprietary kind of weird, it's not Atmos, it's not THX, it's some other sound system. Gotcha. Something I got from the back of a van somewhere in China. Yeah, I wouldn't know because mm. the thing is like Jack Neo is very uh, prominent in the marketing for this uh, oh sound God. system. Okay, the man who gave, the guy who gave us Our Boys to Men 1, 2, two three, 3 and 4 now. And now there's 4 of them. And there was a spin-off as well, wasn't there? Really? Yeah, when they were like frogmen. They were frogmen? Wait, yeah. what? It is embarrassing that oh, did I, I dream not, that. I'm yes, <laughs> y- you dreamed that. Wow, that is the worst dream possible. Dreaming about shitty Singaporean movies. Most of them are shitty, and we're un- unfortunate to admit it. I mean, I can't even think of one good Singaporean movie. Let me try. Mm, wait, that scene 
from Independence Day when we get fucked up. Oh, oh yeah, that was probably all I can think of. Where do, they, do you really not have any Singaporean movies that you okay, like? Okay, if you're talking about the golden age, like black and white era, of course we have the P. Ramli movies. Sure, yeah, but even that's kind of debatable because it could be Malaysian as it's well. Technically Malaysian, also Singapore, but also produced by Shaw Brothers, which is a Hong Kong right, company. Right, right. What, what were the stuff that came out like a couple of years ago? Stuff like Apprentice. Which Did you I, like that? I liked Apprentice quite Apprentice a bit. was pretty good. Yeah. Actually, mm-hmm. I met the director when I oh, covered the uh, film festival here. Nice. Yeah, he's yeah. a nice, like, nice guy. I interviewed him as well uh, for uh, one, I forgot which website it was, but he he's a super uh, thoughtful guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, I didn't catch the apprentice. I heard a lot of good things about it. It's basically about a guy learning to be a uh, executioner, yeah. Yeah, in Changi prison. Fascinating. Yeah. And as a person who's been there a few times myself, Ooh. for work. Okay, not for any other reason. I used, I used to go there to visit my father. Uh, oh. He was in prison. So I, I know the place pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hardcore. Hardcore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, speaking of uh, prisoners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice segue there, Mr. Tom. Where are we going with this? Yeah, we're, we're imprisoned by the need to, to talk about, to talk about the movies. movies of 2018. <laughs> so as, uh, it's very hard to transition from a guy admitting he had a father who done time. Best prison movies? That's speaking of the Green Mile? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, you know what's a great underrated uh, prison movie? Shawshank Redemption? Startup. Underrated. Uh, yeah, Startup. Yeah. <laughs> Startup is pretty damn good. Like, as like British prison movies go. British prison movies? Yeah, there's a whole like subgenre of British prison movies and they're hard. Really? Mm. Yeah. Uh, it shouldn't be odd. Because you don't pronounce the H. Yeah, that's true. We drop the H. <laughs> it's odd. Got Do you. they look odd? Yeah, don't yeah. drop the H while you're in the showers, though. Oh, don't drop the H. Because <laughs> then you get the D. Yeah, there we go. I'm so sorry. Last King fans, it wouldn't be the Last King podcast if we didn't talk about the D. Okay, uh-huh. and uh, speaking of the D, <laughs> transitioning again, there we go. failing miserably. We're going to be talking about our favorite movies of 2018 so far. And as always, uh, it is always um, a custom here for us to let our guest host mm-hmm. speak first. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, there you go. Like, same as we did last week when we talked about our favorite TV shows. Your picks being uh, Babylon Berlin. And Barry from and HBO. Barry. You know what? I made the mistake of trying to do research for Barry in order to talk about the, the show with you. Okay. And I ended up watching Barry, the Barack Obama biopic. Yeah, the one on Netflix. Which was boring People as hell. People confuse that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that, that movie was so dull. It was. You know, and I Because Obama's not that interesting a man. I guess so, but it's like... I don't know. With the right writing and directing, you can make anything interesting. You know what would be really interesting? Yeah. His drone policies. Sure, which yeah. is uh, <laughs> which is very very it's something nobody seems to want to bring up. Mm-hmm. It's okay. a touchy subject. It's very yeah. touchy. You touch a button and yeah, people die. Yeah, I'm sorry. Anyway, droning on. <laughs> you know what's a good drone movie? What's a good drone movie? The Bradley Cooper one? No. The Bradley what? <laughs> Wasn't he in that drone movie? Bojack no. Droneman. <laughs> uh, Eye in the Sky. Oh yeah, there you go. The the last Alan Rickman movie. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually a very good uh, commentary on war and like you know, foreign intervention. I guess, yeah. So, well, speaking of uh, favorite movies of 2018, so Mr. Hids of the Hard Hids and the Genre Quality Podcast, what is your honorable mention for 2018 so uh, far? Yeah, much like television, I'm going to break it up into two parts. Uh, one is honorable mentions, and the other is my actual pick for best movie so far. Uh, the first thing I'm, I'm going to be talking about is a small independent film out of France called Custody. Voilà ce qu'a dit Julien. Julien a 11 ans, il est en 6e A1. Yeah, uh, Custody comes to Singapore courtesy of a small little distributor called Anticipate Pictures. Uh, they usually screen out of the art house uh, and they okay. bring they bring in like really, really small independent films that even the projector don't bring in. 
So I really appreciate them for kind of like expand. The projector is honestly turning into a hipster hangout now. It's not turning so much into about the it's films. become. Like I went there for my anniversary to watch Love Simon. Mm-hmm. It became so goddamn pretentious. <laughs> the movie and the studio and yeah. theater. Well, no, Love Simon was fine, but the theater itself was goddamn insufferable now. Right. How so? Well, so they had the Mexican film festival going on at the same time. Oh right. So yeah. they said, oh, we'll only have our Mexican um, uh, menu options, and it was horrible. Like their quesadillas was like they got like a prata and just dipped it in oil and stuck some like shredded cheddar on it. Sure, yeah. And well, a prata for our international audiences is basically like a bit of flatbread. A bit of flatbread. Yeah, there you go. They like, eat with curry sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's like a naan. I'm sure some of them know what naan is. I'm, I'm sure you guys know. Yeah. You're, you're worldly. Uh, anyway, yeah. our fans definitely very worldly yeah. all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, um, anyways, Anticipate Picture reminds me of an early projector before they became the hipster hangout. There we go. Yeah. Uh, That's the connection we were going for. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and they do these really small screenings. Uh, there's just one screening room at the Arts House. So that's oh, where wow. they regularly show their movies. Uh, I've seen a bunch of great stuff there this year, but my favourite has been Custody. Uh, Custody is the directorial debut of a French director called Xavier Legrand. And it's this really intimate portrait of uh, domestic abuse and uh, and and... A bitter custody battle, as its uh, title from implies. The, uh, it's from the perspective of the young boy, right? It is told from three different perspectives. We're okay. introduced to the movie first via the young boy. Okay. Uh, so at first, we do not know who is right and who is wrong in terms of who is the bad parent is. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everybody is pretty neutral at first. Uh, the dad, you can kind of sense a darkness in him. Uh, the mother, you can kind of sense that he's go- she's going a little crazy. Uh, so you don't know where the strife is coming from. And as the as the movie progresses, you you shift to the dad's point of view where you become sympathetic to him, and then you be, you shift to the mother's point of view where you become sympathetic to her, and that's when you learn. Spoiler alert: It's the dad who is the abuser. Oh, so but you draw your clone conclusions, but in the end, they still reveal to you how it goes. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, but what I loved about it was its naturalism and its grounded depiction of the pathology of abuse, which I haven't really seen accurately depicted in 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 Hollywood movies, I guess. Because it's usually so obvious. Um, mm, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Like, uh, it's kind of... I don't want to take this down a dark direction. But, but it's like, not just physical abuse. It's also like, you know, uh, emotional and um, verbal abuse, I guess. Exactly. And th- there were some certain scenes there of very subtle gaslighting of the yeah. mother, which uh, struck me because it's just so rarely seen. Mm. Um, the way that the child reacted. I mean, I... I I come from like kind of a similar household, so I could relate more than the casual movie go. But I think this is relatable all around. Um, so I, I just really like the intimacy of it and how it kind of switches from this family drama into a thriller, into a horror movie by the end. Ooh. So it plays with like three different genres and three different f- perspectives. And as it well. doesn't flop in any way, right? Because the thing is, a lot of times when something tries to be a little genre bit shift, s- yeah, and be schizophrenic with their storytelling, they always like they. They always fail to stick the landing. No, yeah, yeah. Um, the, I think the naturalism is what is key to making every character decision and every story beat organic. Is this a French-speaking movie? Or? It's a French-speaking movie. So uh, like Babylon Berlin, you're going to have to read subtitles. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Yeah. But how is the performances? Because when it comes to something that is intended to be very emotionally striking. Sure. I mean, especially you have a young child actor in this, right? Uh, I mean, how did uh, he pull it off? 
the child actor was amazing. Uh, he, oh. he was pretty much the best part of the film. Because yeah, that's what usually makes or breaks the story. Indeed, yeah. Um, the mother was okay. She she displayed appropriate horror and shock and uh, despair at times. Uh, but the real key to making this work is the father. Mm. He has to be uh, proper terrifying but also strangely loving at certain scenes, right? Indeed, yes. So there are scenes where he's trying to care for his son uh, juxtaposed to scenes of him striking or abusing the mother. Uh, so he kind of has to straddle that line where first he has you have to kind of believe that he could be the good guy. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he has to have something in his eyes that tells you there's something more going on behind that. I mean, it's not very easy to play the sympathetic monster, in, especially in a, in a, in a, mo- in a show where... I yeah. Mean, does the language affect the enjoyment of the film? Not really. Not so really, much. because it's all in the intonations, the body language, the facial mannerisms. And yeah, uh, sympathetic monsters are in, but it's different when you're playing Thanos because that's yeah. so unbelievable yeah. and you can kind of distance yourself. Whereas this kind of abuse, you kind of can you can find it anywhere in any walk of life. So it's, it hits home and it's very relatable Especially in that Especially when sense. it's like something as close to you as like a father figure or an actual father. Yes, I, I, exactly. Uh, and you can kind of tell with like the both, mov- both movies that I've picked. I'm, with cinema, I'm kind of attracted to very grounded, naturalistic, uh, almost verite kind of portrayals. Okay. Yeah. So you're probably a fan of like Jim Jarmusch and Wim Wenders. Jim Jarmusch. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 400 Blows and stuff like that. Oh, you're a Francois Truffaut fan? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I didn't know that. You know what? I picked the best guests. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right. Where do you find these people? I don't know. In film school. Yeah. <laughs> film club. I don't know. Actually, on, on Facebook. On Facebook. Oh, yeah, yeah. too. Because of that one time we went to watch Guardians of the Galaxy together. Randomly, right? Yeah. <laughs> We were the only two nerds who actually read the comics. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Everybody else was like, oh, this is a Marvel movie. And I'm like looking at you like, you know what Groot's about, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. And, yeah. and Guardians is a deep cut. And, and yeah. Very, very deep cut, you know. Yeah. Dude, we were pitching to each other like a Moon Knight movie, right? Yes. And then after that, it became all about like uh, Death Star Reserves, right? Death Star, uh, Stormtrooper Reserves. Stormtrooper. I'm still writing that script. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I still think about it to this day, actually. What, really? It's been years, yeah. That was my idea. <laughs> I am executive producer. <laughs> Stormtrooper Reserves. You know uh, what? There should be an entire skit here on the Last King Podcast where I explain yeah. to you all Stormtrooper. It's basically, you know how they blew up the, the, the Death Star in the first one? Uh-huh. And how could they possibly have another Death Star ready? All those stormtroopers were reservists, oh. which is why they're even more ineffective with the machine. <laughs> Incompetent, and yeah. they look like they just don't want to be there. You know, it's like that's a, that's a very Singaporean um, <laughs> taste to this kind yeah. of skit. It was my idea. Okay, it's our idea. I'll share it. Okay, it's sure, our idea. Yeah. I, I'm going to write the script. I'm going to write the treatment. It's going to be uh, a Hollywood thing soon. But anyway, mm. so uh, speaking of amazing movies, let's move on to what is your number one. Your My pick, actual yeah. favorite movie of the year so far, so far is uh, an indie film as well uh, called The Florida Project. Okay, I warned you, one drip and you're out. Oh, come on! Out now! It's gonna melt outside! It's melting inside too. But Bobby... Out. So Willem Dafoe stars with a bunch of kids. Willem Dafoe <laughs> isn't actually the star of the movie. He's a minor sporting player. but He, he does plays p- the superintendent He though. does play a pivotal role as kind of a father figure to his tenants slash mayor slash cop slash protector to all the people who live in his motel. And slash landlord. And, and landlord as well, pretty much. Uh, the Florida Project comes to you from a director called Sean Baker who's, very, who's well known for his... Uh, almost verite style storytelling. His uh, directorial debut, Tangerine, was kind of a Sundance hit uh, and one of the first few films to uh, shoot exclusively on an iPhone. Uh, he Which did version of the iPhone? The iPhone this? 5, I think. This was in 2015, so it must have been an older version of the iPhone. 
2015 wasn't a long time ago, sir. It was well, like three in terms years. of like technological growth, it was. Just gener- uh, like iPhone generations, that's almost prehistoric. Probably, right? Pretty so before much, they yeah. had a camera above 10 megapixels. Yeah, mm, okay, I can see that. Yeah, and he, and he did a far better job than Steven Soderbergh, in my opinion, on that, on that horror movie, Unseen. Uh, yeah. Which was also shot on an iPhone by an, an, an iPhone 7, I believe. Mm. Well, anyways, this isn't about iPhones. This is about... I think uh, I'm more impressed by... I'm sorry to go for the tangent. Oh, go, go for it, yeah. But basically, the guy who directed the Godzilla movie... Which one? Colin Trevorrow? Uh, uh, there's a guy... The, the Godzilla remake... Wasn't he the same guy who directed Monsters? And the guy who did um, Rogue One? Uh, Colin Trevorrow? No. 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 It's Gareth Edwards or Gareth something. Gareth Edwards. Edwards. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. Colin Trevorrow something You're right, else. you're right, you're right. So yeah, like, yeah. And it, isn't it true that uh, uh, Gareth Edwards shot and cut like... Monsters on Movie Maker. On, a movie, on Movie Maker. That's, like, that's right. I super respect that with the effects and everything. That's right. So it's like, hey, what's your excuse? Technology should be able to help you make whatever movie you want. Which is why... Death Star Reserve is going to be You're a thing. Be happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're going to do it very soon. Yes. If you can do it, if, if can we can sh- afford the license, <laughs> I think that's going to be it. It's a million dollar movie and $999.99 was spent on just the Star Wars license. Just Indeed. going up and licking the boots of Kathleen Kennedy. Yes. Who might? Just her boots? Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, it depends on how many, <laughs> many rides you want. And it also depends on whether she's still around. She might be fired soon. So because of Solo's oh, problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so sorry. Florida Project. Florida Project. Yeah, sorry <laughs> sorry, sidetrack you guys with iPhones and stuff nah, like that. We like the tension. Yeah, um, so the Florida Project is kind of um, a depiction of a side of poverty and homelessness that you don't usually see in filmmaking. Hmm. Uh, it's I would also want to bring up something that this movie thoroughly reminds me of, but oh. y- you go on first. Okay, sure. Um, so yeah, it's it's these people are essentially homeless, but they have rules over their heads. But how they do that is by living in motels. So they live day to day, a week to week, from paycheck to paycheck. So they're essentially homeless and poor, but they have rules over their heads. Mm. Uh, so it's an aspect of homelessness that you don't usually see. Yeah. Uh, and when you I kind of deliver the premise about, oh, it's about a bunch of uh, poor people living in a motel, you get the sense that, oh, maybe this could be poverty porn. But it's not. It's just really not poverty porn at all. It's like a slice of life, actually. It's a slice of life uh, story told from the point of view of children. Yeah. So the children of these poor families, they play in the parking lots or abandoned condos or in marshes in, over in Florida. And this is set in uh, Orlando, Florida. And I uh, love also like the juxtaposition of having like Disneyland in the distance sure, representing yeah. like the dream, right? Yeah, so there's this, this struggle of the actual working class or the poor and they have to put up with the sh- to live under the shadow of this capitalist garishness that is Disneyland. How similar is it to Beast of the Southern World, which is also about abjectly poor people living in fairly awful conditions? Mm-hmm. Um, not similar at all because there is a warmth and optimism to this movie that that film didn't okay. have. Yeah, And I would say also like what I wanted to bring up earlier was like this movie really reminded me of like Harmony Corinne's uh, Gamo. Mm. Where basically is like amidst all the desolation, these children still manage to find time to play and just like have, you know, just be kids. Because people forget that when you have that age, you don't understand what poverty is or what yeah. uh, desperate circumstances are you just want to have fun every day and they are just, just being so, a kid yeah. just, so, just so intent on living and it's less of a film and more of like a series of vignettes about the kind of antics that these kids get up to and why I also want to mention Gamo is because like what it really reminds me of is like these are not paid actors or actresses these are actual kids who were kind of cast I mean were they just there on set and then hey, you're in the movie now um, most of the s- most of the supporting children actors were kind of just around. Uh, they mm-hmm. were cast off the street, so to speak. But the main child character, Mooney, uh, is a professional actor. 
Okay. Uh, and she's amazing in this. She's, uh, I think this is her first film debut, but she might have you know started in commercials and stuff. And you can also well. say that she's the one who kind of leads the other kids into kind of doing the antics, right? Yes. And she, she does it in a way that you know, like you know, she is basically feeding them the situation, but at the same time. She's being very professional and from like somebody that age, she's like sure. very impressive indeed. Indeed. Uh, and what's very impressive about her depiction as well is that she isn't just a cute, adorable kid. She's an asshole. Yeah. She's right. a terrible character. Like she's so hateable. <laughs> but when she smiles at you, you just you know, your heart just melts, you know. And she has the perfect little girl. I don't care, stomps her feet. You yeah, know I, mean? like, I know. I mean, there's scenes of her like destroying cars and shit. And, yep. you, and then your only response could be, oh, so naughty. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds like people I grew up with. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're I, so precocious. <laughs> exactly. Uh, true, large chunks of the film is seen through her eyes. So you're just intent on playing with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But whenever it does shift to the perspective of her mother, or yeah. other parents living in the particular motel. Which that is the, the best, uh, I would say, depiction of white trash as trash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and much like how Mooney is unlikable, a lot of the parents are unlikable as well. They're extremely unlikable. But yeah. it is a true-to-life portrayal of like people hardened like by abject poverty and that you find it very hard to have any kind of, you know, spark of life but not just not, not necessarily no. because a lot of them especially Mooney's mother in particular who is the the adult character we spend most of our time with uh, she is just reckless irresponsible oh, uh, doesn't okay. know how to spend because her she's money she's kind of a kid herself because she, she it, ne- never it, grew up yeah, it's, it's kind of hinted that she's not re- she's not in her 30s, maybe late 20s. Maybe late 20s, yeah. yeah and but she's a drug like, adult, uh, uh, prostitute. Okay. So she probably ran away, home, away from home at like 16 and that's all she understands about the world as of now. Indeed. So when, when it comes to her t- trying to take care of Mooney, uh, you get very angry at her because she d- never does the right thing. She steals. She's she, a terrible mother. Yeah. She leaves her in the, bath- in the bathroom when she's uh, servicing like her prostitute clients. You know? yeah. uh, but when it comes to scenes of her playing with a child, because she is a child herself, yeah. and you see a very loving, tender, almost fiercely maternal side of her. Yeah. Uh, so that is the side of her that you kind of empathize with. Because, okay, she can be a good mother at times. I kind of empathize with the fact that she is also maturing herself. So it's just, yeah. like, it's just kids figuring out being, how to do things. Mm. Indeed, yeah. But except one kid has crossed an arbitrary age line, which is the mother. Mm. And now she has to deal with real world stuff like paying the bills, trying to get food. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and the, switch, the switches to Mooney's mother is the scenes that punctuate all these joyful, warm scenes with the child. Uh, and it, it's this juxtaposition that makes the movie for me. But I would say this, like, the thing about what I like about the Florida Project, basically, yeah. is, like, um, on the technical level, like, it's probably so hard to just get all these uh, elements to work together yeah. in a way that, because, like, you have to understand, like, when you make a movie like this, like, there's certain things that you have to pay attention to in terms of production, in terms of time scheduling. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you're going to really trust the scene to a bunch of randos. Yeah. And it, and it, it worked. Sure. It's very seldom that this happens. Like the only other occasion besides Gamo I can think of is probably like when they casted all the street urchins for City of God, for example. Yes, yeah. Where you think like, really? These are actual kids from the streets. And the thing is, right? From the favelas, right? Th- there's yeah. like this genuine like a sincerity to the portrayal. Sure. But it's also that kind of like, you know what? This could like, you know, fall apart at any point of time. Indeed. And like, no, it doesn't. It, it kind of sticks the landing. Sure, yeah. Um, the I, I'm sorry, I forgot the lady that plays Mooney's mother, but she was just an Instagram model that... Uh, not even a model, just someone that Sean Baker found on Instagram. Decided to ugly up for this. I uh, decided, well, <laughs> she is unabashed about being white trash in her real life, so she's just kind of playing an exaggerated, exaggerated version Especially of herself. Especially in this day and age. Yeah. Hmm. You know, yeah. uh, like when we have something like, you know, Little Tay, 
on Instagram. A little tea, yeah. Like, but well, she's not really white trash. She's like Asian <coughs> white, Asian American trash. Uh, a different kind of trash. Yeah. yeah. What, what's the cash me outside girl again? Bad Bobby. Uh, bad, bad baby. I say Bobby. Sure. Yeah. There's a H there. Yeah, there's a H. There. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. But if anything, I mean, what would be your like if you want to recommend this to people? What would you want them to expect or look forward to? I do have to disclaimer this movie because it doesn't have a plot. It doesn't work as a movie. It doesn't. It, it doesn't really have a narrative. It, it's an immersive form of storytelling that puts you into their shoes and lets you live their life. For but an it's hour not and quite half. a documentary either. But it's not quite a documentary. But it feels like one. It seems true to form to the director because that's what Tangerine was as well. It was yeah. literally just following these two prostitutes trying to you know f- do something. Sure. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily have you know the three part arc or anything. Right, yeah. Which I think could work for some people, but for others who want some something, it might be a bit difficult. So, mm. I think that kind of didn't help when it was released. It wasn't really advertised in the right way because I didn't have much interest when it was first released here. Was it released in Singapore? It was released eventually, like yeah. this year. It was supposed to actually, it came out last year. It's part of last year's uh, Oscar run. I see, okay. Yes, but it was released in March on the, in the projector actually. Okay. Yeah. And the thing is, like, it's one of those movies, especially with your pick later, that is criminally unreleased yeah. when it's supposed to be released. Gotcha. Yeah. We're finally catching up now. Yeah. But I, I do have to say, with regards to the lack of plot or how loose and lived in it is, uh, a lot of times when it comes to movies about homelessness or important social issues, you can you can kind of sense the work of a dramatist behind the scenes, yeah. Yeah. trying to kind of emotionally manipulate or craft something or a message. Yeah. What's beautiful about the Florida Project is you can get the message organically they, they, they don't beat you over the head with it so basically this is what happens when you have a film shot as a documentary exactly I mean like the, the antithesis with that would be um, boyhood boyhood where they, yeah. they force the kid to grow up and yes then like, yeah this doesn't work <laughs> this feels like a better version of boyhood without a dramatist kind of feeding you the feelings yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah so I mean, like, yeah, you need a little bit of realism. I mean, one thing I want to bring up is the fact that a, a lot of the Florida project reminds me of like the the kind of recent to later works of like something like Werner Herzog. Yes, yeah. Like, something like Grizzly Man or Into the Wild Blue Yonder, where it's like, I'm I'm done with making Fitzcarraldo. I'm just gonna make weird films that's <laughs> about people that yeah. actually exist. And you're like, this is strangely fascinating in a way mm-hmm. because it kind of like I mean, it's true what they say is like we're kind of addicted to reality TV because. We just want to see actual people fail sometimes. That is For the sure. drug yeah. that is. But then, like something like this, where it injects like hope and like uh, basically, you know, just being happy with your situation. Yeah, there's a sense of warmth in here that I I find that you that you can't find with other movies of this ilk. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, even something like Gamo kind of ends on a depressing note. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this movie. Okay, the ending of this movie is kind of depressing, but even that you get fireworks. <laughs> yeah, but 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 even then, they make sure to punctuate that with a moment of optimism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not all hope lost. It's not being moralistic. No, like, it's not. Yeah, no, because no. I feel like what definitely makes a lot of movies of this ilk kind of end on a depressing note is that it tends to be a kind of need to punish poor people in American yes, cinema. Yes. Yeah. And you're saying it doesn't really exist here? No, I, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say that it celebrates poor people. No, I mean, that's but not <laughs> either, but No, that's Roseanne. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it just portrays them as people with hopes and dreams and likes and loves and flaws. And that's important, yeah. I think. We need to humanize humans. Yeah. Basically, yeah. that's yeah. the lesson of all this. It's surprising how much we have to do this in this yeah. day and age because we're so disconnected with yeah. like social media and like looking at phones. Yeah. yeah. Back in the, yeah, sorry. That's, I mean, it's fine. The, the the important thing is that there's more to poor people than the fact that they are poor. Yeah. Yes, they're just economically it, yeah. challenged. <laughs> 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 that's how we should. So okay, that was your pick for uh, best of 2018. That was my favorite so far. Technically in Singapore because it got released here. In hey, there's gonna be a lot of that in this episode. There's gonna Indeed. be a lot of that. And speaking of a lot of that, okay, uh, we're gonna go for a quick break where uh, Mr. Toffee, our he roving another, reporter. Yeah, he left another uh, person yes. front of the airlock. <laughs> yes, uh, like he. I don't know why he doesn't just knock and let us get. How does he not? How does he breathe in space? We wonder. Uh, <laughs> he's got reserves. <laughs> there you go. He can really hold his breath. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I was actually checking out new Gundam Breaker over the weekend. Managed to finish it over the weekend. And I can tell you that it's not really the game you should be paying 79 Singaporean for or Singaporean 80. Now, probably the closest comparison I have to this game is most likely of all things the LEGO series. Like, we all know the LEGO series, you got like the Star Wars titles, you've got the Jurassic World titles, you've got the LEGO Dimension titles. Can't help but enjoy these games, these LEGO games, because of the click-clack collectible appeal where you want to collect as many characters, especially the Marvel superheroes LEGO games, where you want to just collect them all, the different heroes here and there. I get that same feeling when I'm playing new Gundam Breaker, because if you're a big fan of Gundam, or if you just have played or even watched the series on a casual basis, you might actually enjoy collecting and destroying all these enemies. So for context, it's an action game put in a third-person perspective. You are joined together with two other AI players or real-life players as you fight against another team to complete different objectives here and there. So said objectives can be either destroy 10 boxes, 10 crates, or just kill 15 to 20 neutral enemies, a range from different Gundams or different Zakus or whatnot, different Gunplas as well. Or you can even just kill off the team captains from the opposing team. So it's not about whether you have the strongest Gundam or not, it's whether you have the best Gundam set up to actually complete these missions on the fly. Because when you complete these missions, you get points, and whichever team has the highest points win the entire game. So it doesn't matter if you kill the other guy so many times. If you are actually down by a few points, like five, five lesser points than your opponent, your opponent's going to win 100%. So what's really kind of cool about this game is that you get to kill off different Gundams and you get to collect their parts. Thing is, you have to collect. You can only collect up to five parts per player. So you have to actually bring back these parts to a white box where you can actually store the rest of them. So for example, you want to actually get some parts from the Death Scythe Gundam. You kill that guy, you get his parts. If you actually overloaded the parts, you get you actually have to carry them back in the box, wait for a few seconds, and then come back out, go back out there again with to collect more parts. It's really up to you. Sometimes you get into the groove where you just rather not care about the mission and rather just want to collect different parts so you can actually put them together to make your own Franken Gundam. And that's the pretty cool part about this game. Probably the only good thing about this game. Now the customization mode is kind of alright. Like after you collect all these different parts of Gundams, the arms, the body, the torso, the legs, the heads, you can form your own Franken Gundam. Doesn't matter about the stats, I mean the stat changes are nice and all, but you want to actually make them look as cool or as grotesque or as esoteric as possible, which is pretty cool. 
For instance, my side I actually took a Zaku head. I actually formed it together with another Gundam part of legs, which is really, really big, like overproportionate and stuff. And just fit and fit the rest of the body and hands with just regular Gundam parts. So looks like a bit of a mess. As for the rest of the game, yeah, the concept and the idea is fine. Now the controls, they're, they're pretty all right. Like. You get to actually dash around as a Gundam, you get to attack, you got your heavy and you got your light attacks, you got your ranged weapons. Depending on how you customize your Gundam, you can actually have a charge shot, you can have a long range shot, you can have a artillery shot. Really cool stuff. Got the sword as well, you can even have like a whip as well. Different weapons here and there, giant swords. And your different setups can mean that you can actually have your Gundam boost as long as possible or fly around as long as possible or even take as much damage. But I think this is where the this is where the part where I get to criticize the game a lot because the execution is just horrible. For starters, the frame rate when I play this game is very, very choppy. It actually halts for a single player mode. Like I load up a game, I go inside, I have my teammates following me around to this giant playfield, like this playground, either it's like a workshop or a desert or an Arctic Tundra place or even a space station. It's all miniatures and stuff. They're trying to play the whole miniature thing because you're actually pilots piloting a small ass miniature through these giant fields and whatnot. Now, there are going to be so many instances where you'll be overwhelmed and these are the parts where the game slows down to a crawl. Like, frame rate just drops from 30 to 20 to even 10. I only played the PS4 version and it looks like shit when it moves. No, don't get me wrong, it looks good when it's static. But when you actually have it playing out there, like when you have control your Gundam out there, finding all the many hordes of neutral Gundams coming after you, it just slows down. It's really hard. I mean, there's even some lag in the control. A lag, lagging, there's even lag in the single player. Jesus Christ, what the fuck is wrong with you, Bandai Namco? Here's the crazy part. There are like three of these games prior to this version. The first ones are the PS3, I think part 2 was a PS3 and PS Vita. The third game was on the PS4 and that actually got everything right with the UI interface, the frame rate, the gameplay. I mean it's simple and moronic but at the same time the collectible mentality is there. Here all I get is just like collectible feel to it like let's just say Warner Brothers or Traveler's Tale made a shitty Lego game and thankfully they have not. They've just made simplified ones. At the very least, at the very worst aspects of a LEGO game, like the bare minimum is a collectible bit and that's fine. Here, it just runs horribly, The even the collectible bits is not enough. Like the whole aspect of it, like getting the heads, getting the bodies, getting the torsos of different Gundams and forming your own miniature customized Gundam, it's not enough because the single player, the multiplayer, it's pretty broken when you want to move your characters. The controls are fine until it starts lagging and when it starts slowing down when you have more players in the fray and that kind of defeats the fucking purpose of the fucking game. I don't want to comment so much about the story mode because who the fuck plays Gundam game for a story? If you want the story, just go watch a Gundam anime. <sighs> okay, the story is basically just very typical shonen jump high school bullshit where you've got your Gundam Breaker University, it's not even such a fucking thing, where you you play a typical spiky-haired dude who is a prodigy at piloting Gunplas and Gundams and the simulation in school, and you gotta take down the school council who actually took over the whole body, and you have your hot 
school childhood you have your hot childhood friend joining you who happens to be inspired by your gunplay techniques and stuff who joins you and you got this other girl who is very nice at first but then when she gets to battle she gets an orgasmic fit like like that gambling chick from kakigure except for gundam of course and you've got your bookish chick who isn't really good at fighting but she joins in nonetheless because she wants to join your all-female entourage where you're only male character it it targets the Wii U crowd really well. Bandai Namco has been doing this shit for like four, uh, three games, and so far they added the story mode for this, and it's very, very atypical. It's okay, not atypical. It's very typical. It's very typical of them to do this sort of story just to and to give the whole male power fantasy. I mean, whatever, it's fine. But this is just lazy writing. They've been doing this so much, so many times. Why not just try something different, like? This is the worst comparison, I mean, look at the LEGO games, they actually have the collectible thing down the pad like Gundam does with its Gunplas, but they've done really creative stuff with their story like just poke fun at the tropes and whatnot for the Indiana Jones games, for the Star Wars games. The writers for this could at least make things a little different, I know it doesn't matter, but at least show that you're trying or at least care because these are people, these are fans who actually pay their hard money who want to actually give out their hard-earned money to actually do this instead of like paying for gun actual Gunplas or actual models which cost a shit ton of money. So for 80 bucks, you could actually just take half of that and just buy Gundam Breakers 3, which is probably on sale right now as we speak. Get that. Skip this new one. It looks nice, sorta, kinda. I like the collectible elements of this. It's pretty addictive and all that, but to shell out 80 bucks for a game that is stripped down of all its features from the past three games. That is just a huge ripoff from Bandai Namco. I know it's also for PC, so it's nice that the PC crowd gets to play this once, because I figured the new part of this title, the new Gundam Breakers, is for people who have not touched this game before, which is good. Get a whole audience playing. So I really hope the sequel comes out and improves and added more features from the past few Gundam Breaker games, because this one is just the bare bone minimum of a Gundam Breaker collectible game. In terms of rating, I'm gonna have to be very fair here, like probably a 4 out of 10. Because it tries to be fun, it's like one step forward, you know, to bring it for the masses, but too many steps back. Like, if you play the older games, you'll see what I mean. And if you're a first time Gundam Breaker fan, maybe just wait for this to be on discount, because paying a high price for this for just a what seems to be a single player mode that's a tutorial for multiplayer and if you don't play that much with other people and honestly I tried this online, I couldn't find that many people to play with and the same problems are back here, you know the frame rate and everything, made even worse if your internet connection is shitty and you've got a recipe of a half-baked game that has so much potential to actually introduce people to the wonders of collecting Gundam parts and making your own Franken-Gundam. So this is just a wasted opportunity. So please shape up Bandai Namco, otherwise you're going to lose the trust of a lot of people. Well, thank you Mr. Toffee for that very enlightening segment about that thing you enjoy a lot. So, uh, here we are again. Uh... <laughs> Talking about our favorite films of 2018 so far. Okay, we're here with our special guest, uh, Mr. Hids of the Hard Hids and the Genre Equality Podcast. Hey guys. And uh, okay, right now it's uh, Center Tom's turn to tell us what's his favorite film. My favorite movie of 2018 so far. So, like our esteemed guest, I'm going to be talking about an honorable mention. Now, the reason why I give some mention is that this is a really good movie, mm -hmm. but there are just certain elements about it which left a bad taste in my mouth, which isn't the fault of the movie being bad. It's just that 
element about it couldn't I couldn't have this be my favorite movie. And so the my honorable mention is American Animals. You feel like you're waiting for something to happen. So this is one of those movies where it's you know kind of based on a true story, kinda sorta, and it's about this group of students at Transylvania University in Kentucky who got really bored uh, one uh, time around finals and decided to steal these really uh, important books from uh, the library, and then this is you know the planning the actual heist and the follow afterwards. So is this a better heist movie than Ocean's 8, sir? So much better. In <laughs> That's a really low bar. Yeah. <laughs> how, how dare you? This is, <laughs> and Hefu was great in that movie, though. I had this is honestly say, yeah. one of the best heist movies since Ocean's Reservoir 11. Dogs. Oh, Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. Reservoir Dogs, technically, there isn't much of a heist. Yeah, it's the aftermath of a heist, it's, but not but so much. But it's also got, like, the pro, it's got everything about a heist movie apart from the heist itself. Okay, I, I mean, interestingly enough, Reservoir Dogs is heavily referenced in American Animals as yeah, well. Yeah, and I feel like because the filmmaker realized he had to reference it because there were it's definitely strong elements. And also, it's it's about university kids. Okay. And you know, university kids, they think they're so smart because they can reference Tarantino movies. Or because they have Reservoir Dogs posters on their dorm Dude, rooms. Dude, exactly. that scene where they were just watching DVDs upon DVDs of heist films. Yeah, like they showed the original Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Just that planning scene. Pretty good. Yeah, and still uh, not as good as Asphalt Jungle. Well, okay, mm. sure. I haven't seen those movies, so I'll let you. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <win that laughs> <argument. Anyway. laughs> Actually, you know, it's still not as good as Rafifi. Rafifi is still the best. All oh, right, goddamn it! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Old Man Corner. Now, um, what really works about this movie is that uh, it takes the Rashomon uh, uh, storytelling technique to its the unreliable narrator. Yeah, to the, its utmost. Uh, Ends because the scenes change with how whoever tends to be narrating at a particular point in time. Like Hero. Yeah, sure. Yeah, like actually, exactly like Hero. But uh, Hero tended to like separate it, so you'd first have the unnamed yeah, warrior saying one, it. Each one has like a color scheme and a, and a very specific art style. Yeah, I mean, does that it, was more does like American the Animals do that? It's more like mid scene, it would change. Yeah, like okay. for example, if a guy is described as wearing a suit and then the other guy describes him as wearing like a purple scarf, and the actor will change and the costume will change yeah. mid scene. Or the, oh, it's the, very Kubrick huh? to have yeah. things like confuse people. Like, or the best scene is uh, when uh, the main two guys are talking about the book in the first place. It's one guy saying, Oh, we talked about this when we were driving somewhere. And the other one says, Oh, no, we did this while talking at a party. And so. The scene would be the two of them standing at the porch of a party, just talking, passing a joint, and they're just talking. Oh, pull over here, I want to buy something. And then suddenly he's coming out of a car. It's okay. kind of like just catch your car, like oh wait. So you realize how does that work in the transition though? It's just it's a hard transition. So like it's like uh, you know pull over here, and suddenly it cuts to the backs of their heads, and he's getting out of a car. Because like in my head, I'm thinking of it like maybe that weird saw movie where things transition into <laughs> itself, and it's like what's going on? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not like the only smart transition is uh, when like a guy's changing how he dresses because an umbrella moves in front of him and then he's wearing something different and he's become a different person. Okay. Yep. But that's just you know the cool side effects. The main thing is uh, it follows mainly uh, the two main characters who are played by Gary Keegan and Evan Peters. Gary Keegan from our favorite uh, Sacred Deer. <laughs> yeah. And even Peters from American Horror Story and the best version of Quicksilver. 
Sure. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll give him that. Yeah. He's also in um, a television show called Post right now. You, yeah, you mentioned Post yeah, um, last week. Last week. Last week, yeah. yeah. It's been a while, man. Uh, it's been You're a long time. Here. Yeah. 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 Wow, you stayed there a whole week. I know. You just won't let me go. Yeah. Did I, you remember to clean up at least? No, I've just been smoking everywhere. Who uh, left the dishes off? That explains all the no marks on the furniture <laughs> as well. We have food in the fridge, sir. <laughs> I'm not a Singaporean animal. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. What else was I saying? American yeah. Idiot is the worst Green Day album? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, tangent. Yeah. But I, there's so much about this movie which just works. Yeah. Because yeah. The, you actually have four, sorry, two sets of the four. So you have the actors, which are Evan Peters, Gary Keegan, and the other two, they look kind of familiar, but I don't know the names. Okay. But then they actually have the people who did the heist in the first place. They track them down, and they're the ones narrating what happened. No, so these are the actual... Yeah. Okay. And the thing is, the guy who who Evan Peters plays in the movie, they look very similar. They have that kind of eternal youth look going on, like the long floppy oh, hair. Yeah, I've said this a few times. All you white guys look the same. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Uh, I, I could totally accept that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially as good looking ones, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I totally look like various Hollywood stars. There you go. Yeah. Actually, I've been told I look like uh, Tom Wellington from Smallville more than once. <laughs> sure. I don't know why I was so caught off guard by that. <laughs> Tom Wellington from Smallville. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Smallville. <laughs> no, it's just like the acting is really good. The transitions are fantastic. So what would be the reason why this is honorable mention instead of your top pick? Mm. The main thing is that uh, the film salvages this in the second half when they have the twist. But the main thing is that the setup is that it's four white boys who are bored. And the way they express their boredom is, oh, because we're allowed to do anything. And because we want to become something, we want to taste alive, so they have to commit a crime. Mm. And it's a kind of thing where it's like... That's a little bit cliche too. It's yeah. not, not just cliche, it's just it's so uh, obnoxious. And the film almost celebrates it a little bit in the beginning. It's trying to really say, oh, this is, you know, you have to make something of yourself. You're like Before you become, you know, a nebbish office worker, before you like, you know, you sell your soul to the corporate machine, you need to really rebel. And to rebel, you have to steal a work of art. It's a, it's a kind of thing where you only come to that kind of conclusion when you've never had to worry about stealing to make ends meet. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that you can only think of as like, oh, because I have a supporting family back home to, you know, make sure I don't have to worry about, you know, dropping out of school. Okay, I see. I mean, but like it's a white privilege. Yeah, it's it's like the it's the lack of motivation, so to speak. Yeah, no, not really, but that is a misdirect because that's not actually what the movie is about. No, the movie yeah. ends up uh, without spoiling too much, punishing them for having that kind of mentality. Okay, and especially near the end when they introduce a character who was played in the movie, but they showed the real person afterwards, and it really just hits home just how horrible these these kids were to this woman just because. They were lo lost in direction in life, so they felt like they had to do something this drastic to, you know, grab the bull by the horns. I so mean, to speak. like based off your description, the only parallel I can think of is probably like maybe Kubrick's classic Clockwork Orange, where it's about young guys literally with nothing to do with their lives, just going around causing havoc. Mm, is I it similar in? I guess thematically, maybe. Thematically. Uh, but in execution, like I. I Weirdly enough, similar to uh, the Florida Project, it's yeah. actually a documentary style okay. with the talking hits uh, yeah. and then reenactments, right, right. talking hits, reenactments, but more of a traditional documentary, Absolutely. documentary style, yeah. And 
I mean, if I was to give it a review number, because we never reviewed it on the show, I would yeah. say this was an eight and a half, nine out of ten for me. Really, really like, strong. Really, really strong. But it's just that there's something missing. No, it's not not something missing. It's just that that bitter taste. Like I know the movie is trying to, uh, you know, mm. take it away at the end, but it's just they spend too much time making you think, oh, these are just fun, quirky boys, you know, having a time of their life. They're so precocious. Like you know, he's flying to Amsterdam to find a fence to buy, his, you know, stolen artwork. It's like, why are you making this a fun caper? It's like, it's what what made Ocean's Eleven work is because yes, we're having fun with these kind of people, but at the same time. Like, there's a sense of like disconnect because they're going after you know an asshole so casino owner. So maybe like because they're adding all this emotional weight, it kind of brings the movie down a little bit. Mm, not necessarily bringing it down or the emotional. It's just that because so you're paying attention to things you shouldn't be paying attention yeah, to. Yeah, it's which like kind of like yeah, you're giving a bit okay. too much of a veneer of like oh how cool these people are, yeah. and also in real life, um, like. I, I'm going to spoil it because this is true events. Like, the okay. four guys spent seven years in federal prison for their crime. All right. So it doesn't end well for them. Yeah. No, but they all have careers afterwards. Like, one guy goes back to college, another guy's in arts. Uh, in the film, he's shown to be an artist, but he's kind of, like, lost his muse kind of thing. <clears throat> but he's still able to have a successful career afterwards. Like, all four of them kind of land on their feet afterwards, and they don't seem to be struggling. Just like the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. No, but the difference is they do feel a weight of morality on they them. They do. Like, they feel guilt. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Actually, ironically, one of the guys, uh, he published a book recently and went on uh, Reddit to publish it by doing an AMA. And he was lambasted hard because people feel like he hasn't apologized enough. And he went to jail. <laughs> Seven years. <laughs> yeah, federal jail is no enough. joke, man. Yeah. Well, you know, you know how uh, you know Americans tend to be very moralistic about this. You know kind how of shit. keyboard warriors are. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, what they did was stole some rare books and they tied up a woman. It isn't really the worst thing in the world. They tasered her. They, made, tasered, they did. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. they physically assaulted an old woman who had health issues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, but I, I think they did appropriately address that in the film. Yeah. The, the sense of guilt, why that was wrong. Yeah. And the switch to the real life. They, yeah, they yeah. did. They did do that. They have to make you go, oh shit, yeah, they definitely got their comeuppance. But I don't know. It's just because they spent so much time mm. on the white boys having fun. It's kind of like I've seen it too many times. Mm. And fair play to the movie, they did wipe it away. But it's just that initial thing is still like is a taste of mouth which I can't quite get rid of. Which even though this is a fantastic movie, right. which I really liked, I can't get past that mental block and. I'm well aware it's just me, but that's the reason why, you know, this is only an honorable mention. And speaking of white people getting away with things, <laughs> what would be your pick of 2018? Now, technically? that's unfair. <laughs> but yeah, my pick of best movie 2018 is I, Tonya. Nice. The haters always say, Tanya, tell the truth. Tanya, Tanya. There's no such thing as truth. Everyone has their own truth. So, you know, if you want to know our full thoughts, go watch the best biopic so far. For absolutely. Me. Yeah, last of all five time. years. Yeah, all oh, time. Okay. absolutely. Listen to me and uh, Dr. Shafiq just gush about this movie for half an hour. I love this movie so much, and I think Margot Robbie should have gotten the Oscar. Absolutely. She was robbed for. I don't think she was even. Was she nominated? She was nominated. She was yeah. nominated, yeah. but she lost to Sally Hawkins, right? Uh, no. Francis McDormand. Yeah. Okay, who also deserved it. Yep. Yeah. But now that I look back at it, because the thing is, I've got to compare like three billboards to Itonia. Yeah. Like, I think Margot should have. 
have gotten it. Yeah. yeah, but Margot has more time to get it. Francis McDormand is married to a Cohen brother. And she's married <laughs> and she's one one of She will always have good roles. True. <laughs> the, the Academy doesn't always merit uh uh, give out awards based on merits. No. Sometimes it's Scorsese like, got one out of merit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> he got um, it as a lifetime achievement award. And then he got the lifetime achievement. Yeah, award. it was like extra like, rubbing in every other director of 2007. Oy. Yeah. But if anything, also, uh, but Alison Jenny got hers. Yeah. So she yeah. deserved it, and she was basically. Yeah. Speaking of you know showing abuse uh, in a movie, I, I think Antonio did a very good job of showing how you try to forgive abuse. Oh, yeah. Or like how you try to explain it away as long as possible until you finally realize, no, this is a terrible person who is trying to, you know, just suck all of my fame away. Mm-hmm. As well as, you know, beating me to a pulp while I was younger. Yeah. And then also the abuse that she gets from uh, the Winter Soldier himself. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mr. Barnes. Sebastian Stan. Yeah. Sebastian Stan. Yeah, he was, I think, my second favorite um, character. After uh, Tony, after his nerdy friend, <laughs> oh, uh, no, over uh, him, <laughs> uh, he was probably the best bit parts ever. Uh, the fat guy who eventually yes, causes everything to fall I apart, the delusional guy. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy who thinks he's a bodyguard. Yeah, who generally believes he was part of Mossad or something. Yep. Like, and just watching him talk, like, I have known too many people like this. Yeah. <laughs> to see it. But especially when they're driving all the way to her practice and he's just like, you know, varying stages of like eating chips to the point where he's like topless in mm-hmm. the back, just like, I know she's zero thing you should be doing. It's just... We all have friends like that. Yeah, yeah. being steeped in geek culture as we are, we have too many friends like that. Yeah. And unfortunately, not all of them are uh, hired assassins. Like yeah. He is. yeah. And I also love the fact about like, uh, I mean, we did mention like uh, the unreliable narrator. Oh, times. yeah. Whereas this one where... Like, at the end of this movie, I walked out of it thinking like, oh my god, we need to give Tonya Harding an apology. Yeah. And this movie is good to say that, it's not saying that this is the, you know, the absolute raw truth, because obviously, Tonya will have some bias in it. But the of truth, in the, the whatever... It is her truth. And the film actually ends with her spiking the lens and saying, you know, this is my story. Do you think it's the truth? That's up to you. But this is what happened to me. And also, like, the thing is, like, with all the events in the movie, and when I looked at it, I was like, yeah, it's not her fault. It's like no. she's just surrounded by idiots. Kinda, yeah. maybe. I don't know if there's She's any... not blameless and she's yeah. not yeah, I agree. And the movie does also, you know, to its credit say she's not utterly blameless, but there are so many other bad actors who pushed her to the point where what happened to Nancy Kerrigan happened. Yep. Yeah, For the she strangest ra- reason. Yeah, she's just yeah. surrounded by toxic ass people her entire life. And so of course something bad was gonna happen to her because of that. Like you can't ever truly escape the no, wire that you, you grew up in. You can well, you can take the girl out of the trailer park, but you can never take the trailer park out of Tony Harding's skates. Yeah, but think about <laughs> every other famous person who had to escape a truly bad situation. Like OJ Simpson? Yeah. <laughs> he got away with it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> He, he, Eventually. Still up, he still ended up in jail for 30 years over a small time petty robbery yeah. for petty robbery yeah yeah. Not I think for, I think that was a judge saying oh I'm still bitter about what happened I still love Dave Chappelle's explanation you know why OJ got, finally got arrested why is that because black people celebrated too much uh, <laughs> god damn it Dave oh Chappelle gosh. you're the genius you know that for saying shit like that um, stylistically like about this movie did you feel that it kind of ate uh, Scorsese's style a bit too much yeah. Because, yeah, there's a lot of this uh, rhetoric that is like, oh, it's the Goodfellas of ice skating. Ice skating, yeah. <laughs> yeah which is really weird. Yeah. Like, really, does uh, Joe Pesci shoot anybody in this? Yeah, that, that was a big criticism of the movie. I mean, I can see where that's coming from, but also it was kind of fun to have that veneer to something where 
if you're not invested in ice skating, you tend to think about it as, oh, it is a kind of frou-frou sport where, you know, only like pretty people get interested in it. Gotcha. So to treat it like some kind of down and dirty thing, which it actually generally is, like if you listen to how hard these women work for, you know, five seconds of shot of a fame, and then if you don't make it like the best, if you're not number one, you're lost forever. Yeah. Like it was nice to see it treated that way. As an athletic endeavor. Especially yeah, and also have that kind yeah. of tongue-in-cheek bit Mm. Like saying like, how does this thing which is aimed towards you know rich white women how dare they react when you have someone who's so not them just kind of like charging like a bull in a china shop and just break everything but not it's not just because of that it's because I also love the fact that every time when we pan to Tony Harding yeah. by the way she's the only woman ever to land the triple X yeah. so. and and like, at that point in time and that's, a th- and that's like that's a thing that I didn't know I had cared about until after this movie is like right. so what's the big deal about the triple X when and they finally explain why yeah. it's so hard it's like, yeah. like no, like you have to turn three times and land and then you have to land backwards yeah, yeah. oh that yeah. is impressive like I'm trying to imagine the logistics in my head and I just can't wrap my head around just it just the sheer mechanics yeah. it's kind of like almost right, yeah. like physics takes a backseat for a few seconds just say okay I'll let you have your time to shine you're sure. on yeah. skates and you need to launch yourself into the air high enough for you to do that and then stick the landing like yeah Oh. Yeah. So that and is impressive. Have either of you gone ice skating before? I have. Yeah. It's I, it's not easy. It's not easy. It took me a while to get a hang of it. Yeah. Even just to stand up can be a challenge. Yeah. It took me two days before I could actually do it without grabbing the rails. I was able to uh, not grab the rails eventually the only time I did it. Like I was yeah. on the ice for maybe an hour. And I got to the point where I could kind of do it unsupported. But there was just like this 14-year-old girl just doing sp- Bins and pirouettes. Yeah, that's the, the annoying thing, so, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. There's a professional court just over there. Don't do it in my face. You're like you're there doing your best, just trying not to kill yourself, and then there she is landing the triple X. Yeah, but then you know, I turned. I saw my brother just like sitting on his ass for the fifth time. I was like, I'm not the worst in my family, <laughs> and that's good enough for me. You're not. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. So, uh, fun fact with uh, this movie starring Sebastian Stan. Did you know the co-writer of this film is named Steve Rogers? <laughs> I remember uh, that, and the, the thing world is, is I too never perfect. brought it up, yeah. and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's a thing." <laughs> Jeez. Well, yes, uh, but of course, everybody's doing the fanfic of Harley Quinn and the Winter Soldier getting it on for mm-hmm. sure. Yep, and he lifting her, her up with the metal arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a nice big red star there too. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I, are you now a fan of ice skating? I was tempted to watch it in the Winter Olympics. If only, you know, we didn't miss it entirely. (laughs) But I think the next time it comes on in 2020, I will definitely give it a watch because now I know how much hard work goes into it. Mm -hmm. I think it would be definitely a fun thing to watch. You know what? Shout outs to another podcast that exists, Radio Lab, where they describe this. There was this episode where they're talking about a current generation uh, ice skater. Yeah. Who's getting a lot of flack because not only does she skate hard, like real hard, like Tonya Harding hard. Okay. But also because she's black. Ah, oh, interesting. I can't recall the name of the episode right now, but it's like it was one of the most fascinating uh, episodes of Radio Lab I've ever heard. And like that, along with this movie, now I have a, a new respect for the sport that yeah. I didn't know. I, I do catch ice skating from time to time when the Olympics come on. I've always respected it, but mm. I, I never quite knew the mechanics behind it. And to see it explained in this film was actually quite eye-opening. I mean, yeah. it's the same thing with a lot of these extreme sports. Like, even with the compared to something yeah. like, like even uh, v- vertical skateboarding. Right. Because they make it look so easy, you yeah. don't understand how difficult that is. Yeah. Like, I was trying to explain to my friend back in secondary school why, like, Tony Hawk landing the 900 was a big deal. Two and, and a half turns before you hit, hit, hit like, 
Yeah, and, and he can and still do it. Can you jump into the end turn two and a half times? No, exactly. You can't. Yeah, <laughs> it was revolutionary for that time, but now people are doing 1080s and stuff, so it's Dude. just gone much further than that. I've been doing 1080s since Tony Hawk Pro Skater Five, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but amazing pick, man. It was one definitely one of my highlights of the year, even though it's technically a 2017 film. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it came out in December last year, right? No, in the states, it came out in yeah. January here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we were lucky enough to get a screening. Thank so you, Shaw, for uh, giving us that. So awesome. it's one of those few movies that just kind of miss. Yeah. For me, it was between this and Three Billboards. And I also really loved Three Billboards. But I think it was just, there was, for me, it was just a, such a personal story, uh, which, which just really brought me in. Whereas Three Billboards, whilst it was also a personal story, it was more like just beating you in the face of just how unfair life can be. Sometimes, but then Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell tour the force. Jesus say. Christ! And just how you try so hard to like her, and you just can't because she's just so unwavering. I really liked her. I liked yeah. her especially after she decides to shit on Peter Dinklage's character. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, like, I like yeah. how Dinklage's character is like, "Fuck it, I tried so hard, <laughs> I really did, but you just refused to even for a second let up. So you know what? I'm fucking done. You have your fucking martyrdom. Yeah. Just walk off." A lot of people fail to mention Woody Harrelson in that movie as well because I thought it was really great. For Woody Harrelson? Yeah. yeah. He was kind of... He did a good job, but considering Sam Rockwell managed to make you kind of forgive a racist... Sure. Like, you know, like, you have to talk about how you almost managed to redeem such an irredeemable piece of shit. Yeah. But I will say this about Woody Harrelson, not his best performance. I still give it to the Planet of the Apes movie. Oh, the one... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, just that scene of him going, like, in the, in the end... When he, when he that catches, was so tragic. When he catches the, the ape disease or whatever. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. That trilogy has no right to be as good as it is. But it is. It's but it's fantastic. It's one yeah. of the best trilogies I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's one of the few trilogies where part three is good. Yeah. Yeah. Part three is better than part two, I would say. You think? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I haven't decided on part Because part two has a few too many cliches, especially the uh, ending with Caesar and Cobra, like the way they fight. It's like, I've seen this so many times. Part two has them storming a base on horses with machine guns. What is wrong with you, sir? That was amazing. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I did, not, I did not know I wanted to see this until I saw it. Oh, like, no. When he, they climb into uh, the APC and just, like, pulls the guy out and he's just going, that was, minigun. Or, you know what? Even props to part one where a gorilla launches himself into the air and punches a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Wow. That is <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. That's cinema right there. Like Rampage couldn't beat that scene. No. And that's Ramp- got a giant fucking gorilla. Like he didn't punch enough helicopters in a way that made you feel like you go get him, gorilla. But he definitely ate more women. Yeah. One. Yeah. One is more than zero. <laughs> Do you reckon that motion capture actors should be eligible to be nominated for best actor and at the Oscars? No. No. Why? Why is that? Because they're not acting. You have to do the facial performance. Well, they also do facial performance as well. It's that's also what, captured. It's yeah, captured, but it is then reiterated and repositioned elsewhere. You know what right. I mean? You have to be the person there. But they should definitely be recognized for the work they do. They should have their category. They should have. But they best don't have anything. Mm. I, th- I thought like Mr. Circus won an award, like some special motion capture award just for himself. Yeah, but they don't have like that category every year, and especially considering that motion capture is becoming an increasingly so prevalent yeah. thing in film right now. There should be a section for them. There should be a section for them, but here's the thing: like you gotta have 
the history. Mm. Sure, yeah, yeah but they, eventually they, they could happen. just put it on the technical side of the awards. They don't even have to put it on the main broadcast. I guess so, know, because know like even the like Oscars don't even like acknowledge don't, VFX as, as much as they used well, to. They don't, even, they don't even recognize the stunt work, which I yeah. think is all the more important. There's stunt the, work is few and far between. Though. There's the technical Oscars, which is a separate ceremony altogether. Yeah, but that's the problem. It's like yeah. it's a kind of separate but equal kind of uh, discussion. It's not like, equal. <laughs> one gets TV time, one doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. And they deserve TV yeah. time because without them, a lot of blockbuster movies which we love would just fall apart you know what they should do what's that cut up the eulogy oh but in memoriam yeah no right it's extremely depressing especially it's for a guy my age to look at people like pass away and like oh yeah but you need a toilet break <laughs> oh yes <laughs> do you know the musical numbers I like some of the musical numbers though okay depends who's doing it depends though. it really depends like really I enjoyed depends the Moana who? one from last yeah. year but yeah I was surprised at how Hugh Jackman's version Oh, The Greatest Showman? No, no, no. The one where he hosted... Was it the Oscars? That was a long time That's ago. Long. Yeah, so well back, it was like yeah. 2004. Yeah. yeah. Like, he ended the number with, I'm Wolverine. It's like, mm-hmm. this guy's a genius. <laughs> he's amazing. What can't he do, right? He's funny. He's Win Oscars? Good... Ooh. Not yet. <laughs> good call. Yeah. Not yet. Should have gotten it for fucking Logan instead of The Greatest Showman. Well, yeah, like, they, why they push so hard for that trash movie, I don't understand. Because there's a lot of old people in the Academy, sir. That's true. Like that's why they push La La Land so damn hard. Fuck that movie. And speaking of old speaking people. Speaking of old people, <laughs> Dr. Shafiq, what's your uh, pick for best movie of 2018 so, so far? As usual, we have to do the honorable mention. So yep. my honorable mention for this year is the gigantic colossal juggernaut blockbuster Infinity War. <laughs> But this movie made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. It made all the money. It made $2 billion already. And you know yeah. what? It, and it absolutely still, deserves it. And it's still making money as we speak right now. Yeah. It still hasn't caught Avatar and The Force Awakens though. And Titanic. It's beaten Titanic. I think... Uh, uh, it's beaten Titanic's original run. Yeah. But Titanic cheats because he has two runs. Oh yeah. No. Well, it has a run every five years when Cameron says... Oh, I need a bit more money for my Avatar sequel. Exactly. So let's put this out again. So I don't think he says I need money for my Avatar sequel. He's like, I need to build another submarine. <laughs> <laughs> Submarines cost about $20 million. Yeah, but just the fact that it came close to The Force Awakens is an achievement. I, I did not think that anything could come close to The Force Awakens like in my lifetime. Mm. Because you have to understand, like uh, The Force Awakens is also 30 years of in Star Wars fans. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like something like Infinity War is... Probably the few comic book fans sure. and the ten years of Marvel fans that have are slowly evolving. Yeah, and also at the same time, like why I chose Infinity War is because we, how can I ignore it? Because we're definitely a pop culture genre podcast. Yeah. Sure, yeah. And I have said on a previous episode when we were reviewing Infinity War that this is probably the best comic book movie ever made. Because it's, ar- it's arguable for sure, but it's, it's, arguable. it's definitely top three. It's definitely yeah. unforgivably comic booky. Yeah. Because there is so much back catalogue which you have to watch it's to understand. The trappings of just yeah, because comic books in general are meant to be impenetrable yeah. to a sorts. And then like then it's very interesting why I like why nowadays it's it's weird to have your non-nerd friends understand what the word retcon means. Right. You know what I mean? Because the thing is this movie, like I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, your picks were like not important. No, I understand. Yeah. But this yeah. movie is actually changing the way people experience movies because now is like it's now viable for oh before you watch this movie here's 10 other movies that you need to understand it's like not a like starter pack yeah, yeah but it's not like it's a new model it's just a TV show played out on a big screen exactly yeah. but the thing is what else has done it 
Harry Potter. Harry Potter, definitely. Yeah. And maybe to an extent, the Star Wars movies. Sure. Because yeah. it's like, not only do you have three trilogies, you don't know, it's not a trilogy, but yeah. there's a whole back catalogue of the extended universe that you might need to be aware of to have yeah. a conversation. Correct, yeah. So it's like, that's what I love about Infinity War is because it understands that this is the problem with comic book movies. Yeah. Because everyone knows that the the fail, I wouldn't say even the failure, but the trappings of a comic book movie is you got to start with the origin. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, you just can't avoid that. You know, and it, and it, you can't avoid that. Yeah. And then it comes to a fact where it comes to a point where now, like, okay, we're done with the origin. So imagine all these characters, and this is the kind of stories we can tell now. Yeah. Right. And it's a world destroying, it's a universe destroying story mm-hmm. on a scale that I have not seen since. Like even Star Wars movie don't show you enough war. Yeah. No. Not since Rogue One. Rogue One is one of the few Star Wars movie that oh here it's because it was an actual war movie. It's an actual war movie, and then you see something like Infinity War and like. Yeah, uh, we destroy the universe. Trillions of people dying. Trillions. Genocide. And yeah. here's another thing. Yeah. It didn't shy away from trying to keep certain characters alive because mm-hmm. we went into saying, oh, well, this guy's safe because he made all the money. This guy's safe because he just started. Hey, Black Panther, you made a billion dollars? Bye. Yeah. <laughs> that was the biggest audible gasp in my particular screening. For me, it was Spider-Man. Yeah. Sp- uh, Spider-Man was the crying, but the, the one that people were sure wouldn't die was Black Panther. Yeah, because that was like, he's safe, he's safe. What fuck? Yeah, then every everyone's on the table at that moment. No, yeah. I also love the fact that they kind of like trick you into it by having Bucky go. Yeah. And like, oh, right. oh, Bucky going? Yeah, that's all right. And he's then uh, Sam Wilson's like, uh, well, we yeah. had too many black guys anyway. <laughs> and then, you know what? We don't want black guys at all. We get no, no. Um, uh, War Machine still there. Survived. Oh, Don Cheadle uh, still around? Yeah. yeah. So the cripple was left alive. Because that's what happens when you're in uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s phone book. Yeah. You stick around. <laughs> All right, but I will say this also: uh, Infinity War. I don't think we'll ever have a movie like this for a long time. It's made movie history for sure. It has definitely made movie history. It's changed the way we experience and consume movies. And now we're now in this weird uh, kind of landscape where everybody wants to do a cinematic universe. Yeah, and not but not everybody wants to work for it. Yeah, uh, the DCEU, for example, is trying to reverse engineer it. Even worse, the Universal guys the trying to do the monster movie. Oh, yeah. They got one movie off the ground and that failed and where's the universe now? But the strange thing is, right, they have it. It's from the like the black and white era. They have a, sure. a, a yeah. shared universe. I've seen Dracula versus the Wolfman. Yeah, Pretty but fun. The, 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 the thing is like they don't own the rights to those characters. Though. Anybody can do the Dracula monster shared universe. Which is why we should do it too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the one after the uh, reservist stormtroopers. Uh, our second film here at Last King Studios will be uh, Dracula vs. Wolfman vs. Pontiana. It'll, <laughs> be, am- it'll be amazing. Story. That'll be wonderful. Yeah. And, and also uh, those hopping vampires. Oh, that's part two. Okay. Yeah, that's the Zombies vs. Pontiana comic book uh, over in Image right now. Really? Yeah, set in Malaysia. It's pretty amazing, actually. Written by Malaysian? Uh, not by Malaysian. It's written by the guy who wrote War Z. I forgot his name. Oh. He knows what a Pontiana is. Uh, so he went to Malaysia, did a bunch of research. Uh, yeah. God damn it. It's apparently very culturally accurate, although I've not quite read it. But yeah, they all eat nasi lemak. Considering how yeah. anal he was about World War Z, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Like the way he put time and effort into making a survival guide for something that's not going to happen. Exactly, right? Yeah. I think that was pretty much explained and done better in Zombieland. Yeah. <laughs> in Remember? F- in film, but in books. In books? Okay, I'll yeah. say in books. Yeah. So yeah, Infinity War. Man, fantastic stuff. It, it blew me away just because it just changed the game, as you said. Did you go on that uh, website to see whether you'd be spared or killed by Thanos? I couldn't resist. Everybody was posting it and I was not spared. I was not spared either. Yeah. I just assumed I wasn't spared. I'm such a horrible person. But that's the point. It's completely fair. And knowing, <laughs> it's like, random. knowing just how much of an arsehole the universe is, you would still be left alive. 
Oh no, I was. Oh, yeah. I was spared. Of course, of course you are. <laughs> anyway, uh, somebody needs to b- publish this podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm the lone person floating on an asteroid. Yeah. Hey, everybody out there listening to this, I wonder. You know, be weird. Yeah, everybody's dead, but SoundCloud is still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, when Tomasic puts their money in, it stays in. And yeah. unfortunately, Chance the Rapper didn't make it. Yep. <laughs> oh no, he got faded out. <laughs> but I will say this about Infinity War: I haven't felt something so overwhelming in a while. Because like I made the we had the conversation on our review episode yeah. where basically I like um, I compared this to like for my generation would be definitely Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Okay. In terms of a movie that not wasn't not was just culturally defining, mm-hmm. still the best plot twist of all time. Sure. And if anything is like I remember like when you mentioned like you know when Spider Man went a lot crying in the audience. Yeah. I was sitting next to a little girl crying her eyes out because Spider Man got killed. Yes. And, and did like, you say that there was a guy in the screen dressed was like an, Spider-Man? There was an asshole dressed as oh Spider-Man. No. It was one of those weird like yeah. afternoon matinee screenings. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, God damn it, Spider-Man. And like, like, he came in like all happy and cheery dancing around and then when the film ended, he just ran out. <laughs> there was a dad and a mom next to me uh, with their, their child was crying and they audibly said like in the, during all the death scenes, how can, how can they do this? <laughs> how, how can they do this? This is movie. Movie not supposed to be realistic. Yeah, exactly. And they they were just they brought their crying child out before the movie ended. You know the best thing? Uh, I'm friends with a diehard Loki fan. Loki, right? Yeah, because and you got fucked up very fast. Five minutes. Yeah, she was a she's a twenty something woman. Of course, she loves uh, Tom Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Yeah, and I got a text from her after she was like, "Why?" <laughs> No, but I love that they're able to engender this kind of investment from yeah. non-comic book fans exactly. in these characters. Mm-hmm. It's the new, it's the new cocaine right now. <laughs> I, I will say this, like, because the thing is, whenever there's a Marvel movie, yeah, everybody's gonna watch it. Sure. Yeah. So, which is why we're all like looking at uh, Ant-Man and the Wars coming up soon. It's like, so how are you gonna do this? It'll make about five hundred million, six hundred million, which is a huge brain. success for his budget. Yeah, and also, you know, Paul Rudd's much cheaper than Danny Jr. Mm, mm-hmm. I will say that. Especially now, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this is why I chose this as my honorable mention because you cannot escape the conversation that Infinity War did nothing but numbers for 2018. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. So, uh, speaking of something that didn't do any numbers, Mm. the exact opposite, in fact. The exact opposite effect is probably my pick for best movie of 2018 so far is Annihilation. Can you describe its form? No. Start from the beginning. Four women playing scientists who aren't Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> and this is not the intro to a porn movie either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would be an amazing porn movie. Well, Anal where, Annihilation. <laughs> Especially with all the mutation where like halfway through, like right. it just becomes spiked or something. How do we tangent so quickly? I haven't even introduced this movie. <laughs> so to me, this is probably one of the smartest sci-fi movies uh, made in the last five years. Yeah, and as also I would say, what was the last smart sci-fi movie? For Ex me? Machina. Ex Machina, probably. Yeah. Also, well. yeah. yeah. Also done by this guy, but yeah. I mean, I loved Ex Machina. Yeah. Man, like, I would say this is the one that kind of like affected me in a way. Like to me, when I watched this, it felt like Silent Running. It felt like Logan's Run. Yeah. It felt like a, a sci-fi movie from the '70s that wasn't trying to be Star Wars. Mm. Sure. It was just trying to be smart, like like when you watch something like Soylent Green. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Like, there's something about this that is. Uh, that's off a certain time, but is done and repackaged in a way that's modern and accessible. Back mm. in a time when sci-fi wasn't a genre, but a means to explore a genre in a different 
light. You know what? Also, shout outs to our recently the recent passing of Mr. Elson himself. Oh, Harlan, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. probably my favorite uh, Star Trek episode ever. One of my favorites. <laughs> City yeah. on the Edge of Tomorrow. The original series. As I mentioned uh, a while back, I only saw the original series last year, so it was fairly fresh for me. How did you feel when she died? Heartbroken. It's and I it's not a spoiler. <laughs> that show, that yeah. show is forty years old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just amazed that a show that cheesy or that corny could make me feel these these feels. So you're not a fan of video games, right? Uh, I game sometimes, but I'm not hardcore. Play, I have no mouth, but I must scream. Uh, which is based on a short story. Which is based on Harlan. Harlan Anderson also, I think, had a hand in writing the game. Interesting. He had to, he had to tweak hmm. it to, to work with the mechanics, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I've read the short story, and yeah, it would translate well into a game. Got that game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's only $2 on Steam. And sales still going on, apparently. Yeah, until Tuesday, I think. Which is probably a few days from when this is released or after? A long this. time after this has been released, my friend. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. anyway, uh, yes, so Annihilation, we have Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. We have uh, the girl from. Tessa Thompson. Yeah, yeah Tessa, Tessa Thompson. Thompson. Uh, like she, I was about to say, like, you know, Thor The Dark World. No, she's in Ragnarok. Yeah, she's Ragnarok. And Westworld and Creed mm-hmm. and nearly everything right now. She was the singer in Creed, right? She no, was, she was the the deaf girlfriend. Girl. Yeah, the deaf girl, the singer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, um, oh, wait, what's the name of the lady who's... They're working for her. She's the reason they went there. Uh, uh, is that a hunter? Is that a holly hunter? No. No, that's no. not a holly hunter. What am I thinking? Who am I thinking of right now? A holly hunter type. As we say in Bojack Horseman. Sorry, yeah. let's yeah. not do that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so what I love a lot about this uh, sci-fi show yeah. is that first and foremost, it knows it's a sci-fi show. Yeah. yeah. And it does everything to try and bring you into a world. It tries to immerse you firstly in the otherworldly elements that mm. happen. And it does and it does it in a, a way that isn't so... Because there's this thing where sci-fi nowadays, because they hinge on the spectacular, Mm-hmm. When they throw the CGI at you, they try their best to make it look so like blatant and so in your face. Yeah. Like I would say if you were to compare it to like a Valerian or a Star Wars where like look at this world we're building right now and it, like, all this is fantastical and you immediately have this kind of uh, distance. Yeah, this, this, yeah. You, you become a spectator. Mm. Whereas something like Annihilation where they present to you like the otherworldliness mm-hmm. in a realistic way, in a grounded way. Mm. Especially like uh, when they show you the footage of what happens to Natalie Portman's boyfriend, the soldier. Yeah. And oh, yeah. like what he and his uh, Oscar troop, Isaac's character. Oscar right? Isaac. Yeah. Also in Ex Machina. Yeah. Also in Star Wars. Also in Star Wars. Yeah. And he also played Apocalypse in X-Men. <laughs> oh, yeah. He is the real quadruple threat, apparently. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's in all the franchises. Eh? Yeah. And for another time, to connect, he's from Florida. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did not know that one. Really? Yeah. Of, of the Isaac family? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, like he is... It's, it's also very refreshing to me where he is the basically the MacGuffin. Mm. Sure. Yes. Like, he's I, the one being technically damseled. I wouldn't even say damsel. Like he is the basically the, the catalyst for like Natalie Portman's well, character. I would especially. say technically because even though like she doesn't have to rescue him, she has to try and find what happened to him. Yeah, and like yeah. almost like a kind of cure. It's a bit like a reverse Shadow of the Colossus. I, I would say, say. Yeah. yeah, similar. But I also like the fact that when she finally meets him and realizes like, oh, this alien can clone things. Yeah, makes doubles and then the doubles are kind of weird and then you have that weird dance sequence between her and her kind of clone the, yeah. mirror, the mirror image scene yeah Yeah, and uh, like I love the fact that the movie starts off as something that is very clinical in its execution in a sense where it's supposed to be a very lean sci-fi movie which mm. doesn't try too hard to be a sci-fi movie right because like the women they're armed with like normal M16s like sure. they didn't have laser guns or anything I mean even the sci-fi stuff is fairly grounded like the crocodile is just a croc with shark's teeth yeah 
And yeah. it's like basically DNA from here, DNA from there gets yeah. spliced together. And then they're all just trying to understand things. And what I love especially is like, like good sci-fi, it's about answering questions. You know, if, if this was possible, if this is going on right now. Mm. And then when like, especially when you meet the, the, the freaky bear. That oh God, that was so terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and when like, okay, I love that. I love the fact that it's like, it's constantly keeping you like, okay, what else is possible in this world? Mm-hmm. And then they don't try to explain it. They just mm-hmm. say like, this is possible. We need to be aware of it. Let's keep moving forward. Going into this film, I was expecting intellectual sci-fi. Uh, that's what Alex Garland is known for. But I did not expect the horror elements because mm. I think it also functions as a really good horror film. Well, I would agree that too. Yeah, yeah. Because it's definitely like the slowest body horror I've ever seen. Yes, body horror. Yeah, it's like what happened if you watched uh, the slow at point five uh, speed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or even that scene of the bear that you were talking about. That yeah. was a great horror sequence. Definitely. Or yeah. when one of the girls stands on them. That's a great horror sequence as oh, well. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But. Like Tessa Thompson's death, which was like the most beautiful death. Poet- it, it, yeah. it was quite kind of lyrical. Yeah. yeah. And it, like she had to hear the voice of a friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Annihilation, I think, just doesn't get enough rep. And it's, it's because Paramount didn't trust the audiences to be smart. Yeah. And that's why they sold it to Netflix because they prob- just didn't expect to get anything out of it. And I mean, true enough, when they did release it in America, it made zero money. Yeah, uh, it was also because they didn't market it or anything. Well, the people who did go see it gave it a D minus on Cinema Score. Oh, how come? Uh, they stupid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Because they stupid. Like, you know, <laughs> D for they stupid. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's just unfortunate that uh, movies like Annihilation and um, Arrival uh, tend to perform poorly with casual audiences. That's true. Like, yeah, we live in a world where the Blade Runner sequel, which I didn't like at all. Sure. But I respect for what it tried to do. It's, it's artistry, right? It's it was also uncompromising yeah. in the stories for Nutella. Like, that's what mm. I really like about Dennis Villeneuve is that he doesn't hold back when he's trying to say something for, you know, trying to make sure the audience understands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, you're with me or you're not, I don't care, this is what's going on. And I think that's what I like also about uh, Annihilation because yeah. it tells the story it wants to tell Yeah. and it doesn't, there's nothing tropey or there's nothing that it references, which mm-hmm. I love especially. And they didn't make a big deal about the fact that it's for women. Yeah, sure. At yeah. all, you know, compared to something like Ocean's 8 or even like the Ghostbusters movie where it's all about the girls mm-hmm. and then girls rule the world and like yeah and girls get fucked up too in this movie yeah and uh, it needs more love because I want more smart sci-fi yeah and yeah. we're living in an age where smart sci-fi is Star Wars no 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 well Star Wars isn't sci-fi and the movies that you mentioned earlier on like Valerian for example I don't even really consider them sci-fi they're more adventure fantasy movies yeah, yeah, Valerian's a comic book movie yeah, it's technically, yeah, it's a yeah. French comic book, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. But I would, but we have to categorize them as science, uh, science fiction, because science fiction does play a part into the mechanics and yeah. the settings. I guess so. But science fiction is a broad category. It like is a broad rock category. music is a broad category. There can be metal in there, and there can be folk in there. You know, metal is not part of rock, sir. Well, I mean, you know, this overarching, this, this overarching umbrella. I understand, yeah. but I will say this: um, like, can you think of something besides maybe like previously, like Blade Runner? Mm-hmm. Or maybe even like Arrival, or maybe even like the um, Ex Machina. Yeah. You know, that pushes sci fi in a way that isn't just laser guns and aliens. It's few and far between. It's few and far between. Uh, and we're like on the cusp of another predator attempt. Well, but I mean, the Shane Black, though. Second. The, the trailer looks so bad. The new it trailer does. looks a lot better. Yeah, the second trailer, the Red Band, was actually. All they yeah, did was excited. remove the kid, right? They removed the kid, they had this. They added a lot of swearing and weird comedy. And it, it Shane Black is very comedy. It yeah, had more Shane Blackisms, which it's is what I wanted. A lot more like a Shane Black movie. Like, yeah. Okay, I'm willing to give this a chance because the other guys 
terribly performed as it did was, you know, just it's one, one of the funniest most movies ever. Fun made. I've had in a long time. Yeah, yeah, that's what we need. We need to have like, uh, what was it? It's Russell Crowe. I was about to say Cameron Crowe. It's Russell Crowe. Right? Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe and uh, what's Ryan Boy? Gosling. Ryan Gosling. It was great because I want him to appear in Predator. As the other guys, so it's yeah. part of the same universe. Like, uh, they just go to LA briefly. and His arm know. is still broken. Yeah. It's like, not even they get killed, they just, like, watch a predator run past, like... <laughs> <laughs> because Shane Black. Okay, anyway, but... So, I mean, another thing I also want to discuss about Annihilation is, like... You know, there's very few movies that make you... That have this kind of... Uh, like, why I would mention something like, say, Logan's Run or Silent Running. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I miss that kind of sci-fi I miss Soylent Green I miss sci-fi I miss like the uh, the first remake of uh, Body Snatchers for example mm-hmm. yeah. where it's like you know science can be horrifying Yeah, you know what I mean and in a way that isn't like just like oh we have to shoot the aliens more in a sense where like you know we do not understand what else is out there which is why I kind of enjoy Arrival in a sense where it's like it doesn't do too much to explain gotcha yeah. as opposed to other science fiction movies where like okay this is how this technology works Here's, here's literally the Chekhov's gun that will, like, you know, solve the plot point at the end. Yeah, Arrival works because it was, it showed a process of how they got to understand what these aliens were about. And it's nothing but trial and error. Yeah, and also just how important it is, the, your reference points. Yeah. Like, when they talked about how the Chinese used Mahjong as the way to try and understand symbols. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in a game where you can only win or lose, it very much changes the language that they're using. Or how in Arrival... Uh, in Annihilation where like when you see a, a dead alien or something that's weird mm-hmm. don't touch it didn't you watch Aliens yeah, <laughs> yeah. don't put your face right next to that thing like, <laughs> like they put on the gloves and like poke it from a distance it's like okay we're not so sure what this is okay let's just like write down what we understand mm-hmm. let's just like leave right now because they're actual competent scientists <laughs> they're actual scientists mm-hmm. yeah but okay I mean what are, what are your thoughts when you saw Annihilation how did you feel um, Annihilation was one of those movies but it's actually my most anticipated film of 2018 going into this I, I'm excited because I love Alex Garland I love the cast behind it and I was really disappointed that I did not get to experience it in the cinema as it should have been because the sound yeah, design was incredible I wanted to experience those visuals on the big screen oh can you imagine this in IMAX yes yes exactly I was, I was thinking about IMAX when I was watching it on my little laptop mm. yeah so it was disappointing to me that I didn't get to experience it the way it was meant to be seen but I'm glad that I got to see it uh, it is unfair how criminally underrated it is or underseen mm. because this is a fantastic movie and one of the smartest sci-fi films over the last five years uh, alongside Arrival and yeah. Ex Machina and stuff like that yeah I mean the only criticism I have is that the ending really just feels like Garland ran out of steam and he didn't quite know or how to wrap money. it up <laughs> sure. yeah so like, but I didn't know how to end a film like that. Exactly. Like, to be fair, I wouldn't know the first way of how to wrap this shit up, and I think it was fine. But it's just that that they had to end with Benedict one just like rattling off the shit that they found at the end. It's like, could it you not? Could have been uh, worse. They could have done the interstellar ending where it's all about the power of love. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. yeah. Of course, they could have done it a lot worse. But I'm just saying that because of just how beautifully made this movie was, yeah. to end it in a kind of in a small box room. It's kind of like, kind of like someone unfairly took your toys away before you finished playing with them. Mm-hmm. It has the two thousand one ending where it's like it's not supposed to be ambiguous. It's supposed to be like all this means something. You you decide your metaphors. Sure, but like the metaphors that they told earlier on were so much more nuanced. You know, even like little things when you were playing with refraction, for example, when Oscar Isaac's character first comes back into the house and you get to see his wedding ring refracted to through a glass of water. That was a nice nuanced throwaway metaphor that you could have easily missed. Mm-hmm. Actually, I missed that. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so that, that it was brought up again with the glass trees later. Ah, yes, yeah. yeah. So they, they referenced it again to make sure that you got it. But if yeah, but it's a small little nuance thing, and in the end, they gave you some expo- an exposition dump in yeah. a small room. Yeah. I mean, but th- that's what I also love about this movie because like if you pay attention to things like that, yeah. and then like especially when they explain later, like how is it that we're walking along the coast and we still haven't reached there yet? Why is it that the distance is so different? Yeah. Oh, refraction. They mentioned it just now. Yep. You know what I mean? So like it's I love movies like this where where it's layered. I think that's the word I'm really looking yeah. for. Yeah. Because like when you peel away all the veneers, there's something for you to discover and for you to like kind of like. Um, you know, just gorge yourself on. Sure. And yeah. like every single morsel of this movie, it's one of those few films where it's like every little piece has a purpose. There's nothing that's throwaway about this at all. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it's just how utterly devoid of moralistic storytelling. Yeah. Like, there's absolutely nothing saying this is right, that is wrong. Well, change is scary. Change is good. It's like, change is change. And either you get beautiful stuff or you get horrible uh, skull bears. Yes, exactly. Right. I mean, especially what happens to the. Holy Hunter type. <laughs> the Holy Hunter type. Oh, yeah. She, oh, yeah. She, yeah. She became one with the universe in a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, and that's what I love. I, I want more movies like this. Mm-hmm. You know, movies that are challenging, but you know what? Even in a weird way, it's not that challenging. Sure, it's, no. It's challenging to maybe what modern audiences are nowadays. It's not obnoxious. Exactly. I would say. It's, like, it's yeah. not, you know, kind of a, you know, interesting or challenging for challenging's sake. It's because Garland believes that people can understand what he's trying to say. Yeah, I mean, like, probably the anti of this would be, like, something like Elysium. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, okay, oh, it's all about, you know, class structures, and it's all about poverty, and Um, it's all about, like... Who's the director behind Elysium? Mr. District 9 himself. Yeah. Yeah. Blomkamp. Blomkamp, yeah. Yeah, But all his sci-fi movies are so heavy-handed. Even Chappie, which I want... Chappie was the worst. Chappie was the worst. No, even District 9. I wanted it to be... I just wanted it to be Short Circuit 3, and it didn't. Oh, my God. I'm so glad that Blomkamp didn't end up doing Alien, because his pet theme of alienation he probably couldn't avoid that in a movie called Alien <laughs> yeah and all his movies are very various metaphors of alienation because he's South African because he's South African I, I don't know yeah well I mean yeah. he would be a great uh, if we could pair him with another director like we leave him to do all the action and all the sci-fi stuff because right. he knows how to make CGI look realistic yeah he's, he's got that eye yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he used to be a, a kit basher uh, before he became a director Okay. And now he's like, I think he was properly like a groomed at Weta, right? After that, I think so. Maybe, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's with Peter Jackson. Yeah, his that. background is definitely effects, which is why when he did that Halo Three promos uh, live action thing, that would have been so good uh, <laughs> if it was a movie. It was great, hmm. but it was great because it was only like five minutes long. I mean, I know Master Chief is a terrible character, mm-hmm. but I want to see a Halo movie somehow. Well, we could do like an ODST kind of thing. Um, are you aware that Showtime is developing a Halo TV? Series? Yeah, I've I've heard of this, yeah. and it's probably only going to be available on Xbox One. No, Thanks. it's going to be available on Showtime. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But I, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, but that's exactly what we need more tie-ins. Well, there was that uh, Before the Fall um, mm. uh, series, which was actually pretty decent. Mm-hmm. It had one of the children from Lion Witch in the wardrobe. Is it better than Red vs. Blue? Mm. Nothing can be better than Red vs. Blue. No, because <laughs> Red vs. Blue is just so stupid. That's why I love it. Yes. Remember Machinima? Yeah. Speaking of uh, Rooster Teeth, um, Michael B. Jordan is working with them in one of their projects. Really? An enemy, right? Yeah, Genlock. Yeah. It looks like a kind of kind of Pacific Rim kind of thing. Dude, they're huge now. They have 380 employees. They're Is like their own mini production by Empire. Fancy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be paying attention more to them. 
So uh, that's our picks for best of 2018. Yeah, okay. I would say so. I uh, love how diverse it was. Yeah. Oh, I have uh, one more honorable mention for uh, best of uh, 2018. Sure. sure. Uh, the Brits are coming. No. The swimming movie? No. That's that's swimming with men with oh, red. Oh. Okay. Brits so it's a different is, thing. It's a completely different thing. It is. I would say we're gonna do worst off seriously. No, I'm just gonna briefly mention in like to caveat just how we watched all these amazing movies in 2018 <clears> that made us feel, that made us question, sure. that made us cry. This is a movie which made me feel that last emotion, anger. Wow! <laughs> just pure unbridled rage that someone had the audacity to make such a shite movie. Right. You have not seen movie 43, right? No. <laughs> don't. Oh like, gosh. If it's On par with this, then uh, I don't need to. I mean, if you want to see like Hugh Jackman walk around with testicles on his chin, yeah. If you want to know what happened to the Farrelly brothers, yeah, what happened to the Farrelly brothers? This. Remember when they no made one. amazing movies like Shallow Hell? Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> But well, then again, something about Mary, Mary was good. Yeah. Their first movie. And also that animated movie they made was not bad. Which one was that? It was the one about the antibodies in. Uh, Osmosis Jones. Osmosis Jones. Yeah. Okay. Interestingly enough, my actual pick for best of 2018, right? I couldn't include here because it came out in Singapore on 19 December, but it only came out in America much later on. Oh, it's so a reverse it, where we got it. Yeah. So in America, it was a 2018 movie, mm-hmm. and I didn't get to include it in my 2017 list either because it was just so late. It's 19 December. It's Paddington 2. <laughs> you like Paddington? Paddington, Paddington 2, 2 was actually an amazing movie. Hugh Grant's in it, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, and it's Hugh Grant's best performance in a while. Since Four Weddings. <laughs> in a while. Since yeah. an Englishman went up a hill and came down a mountain. And Paddington 2 is such is is this wonderful like empathetic movie about. Uh, Hidden class and multiculturalism in Britain yeah. among bears, uh, and, and the bear is the, like a metaphor for that. Okay. Just because yeah. Paddington exists in this weird world where everyone is just so much happier when he just passes through, mm-hmm. he's he's like a Jesus figure almost. Yes, it's yeah. better than the one who loves marmalade. Yeah, yeah, that's him. And it's great because there's a whole subplot where he has to go to prison because they think he stole a book. Where you go to prison for stealing books in England? Yeah, where. He meets he meets up with uh, Brendan Gleeson, and softens this like is hardcore Irish thug. Uh, I I can't remember what he's called, but he's just like this big scary dude. Like everyone is terrified of him. Mm-hmm. He's the cook, and he's like, "Oh, the food's terrible." Shh, don't say it too loud. And he just bangs up like, "Who hates my food?" And everyone's just like these hardened criminals are hiding, and and he's just like, uh, "Yeah, could you not you know use marmalade?" And then they go on this wonderful caper. You know what? Marmalade is very overrated. <laughs> I hate marmalade. I'm a strawberry jam kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Paddington is amazing. It's the best Wes Anderson movie that he didn't do. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, fun fact: uh, in the first movie, uh, the mother is played by. Wait, Sony. this is a sequel. Yeah, the yeah, sequel. Paddington, there's two Paddington. Paddington movies. two. Paddington one was pretty good as yeah, well. Where yeah, where there's a there's a part where Sally Hawkins is the mother and talking about. I how feel like. I'm are you talking about a shape of water yeah, thing? Yeah. Because because they're saying, oh, I had to go for a swim. Does he have to do it naked? And I saw I saw Paddington after Ship of Water, and yeah. I just I just made you thought of that. I was like, Ugh. because he has to save Paddington from uh, a bathroom that's flooding. Yeah, as well. with so the giant fish man. Yeah, instead with a uh, naked bear. Now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now with yeah. na- oh, what? Oh. Uh huh. Uh huh. You so should watch Paddington. It's it's a delight. Now I feel like I need to. Yeah. But animation team behind Paddington also did the scary bear in Annihilation, so that's one way to tie it in. <laughs> you know, so, it'd be amazing if they have like an asset where they just flipped it and then it's like Paddington instead. Like, um, along. I, I was I was reading interviews with that particular animation team and they were saying they named the bear from Annihilation. Uh, there's a train station right after Paddington. I forgot what it was. Pan- Saint Pancras. 
Probably. Saint yeah. Pancreas. Something. Saint Pancreas. Pancreas. Yeah. Yeah. That's a word. Yeah. Pancreas. Yeah. Hmm, I've been to that station multiple times. Neat. Uh, cool. Does it have marmalade? Uh, no, but it does have a scary bear. It does have a scary the bear. The bear's not scary. Yeah. He's from the darkest Peru, but he's so nice. Yeah, he's so lovely. Which doesn't make sense. How does he have an English accent? Uh, British explorers came to find him and taught him English. No, they there told, is they lore. The, they told oh, no, they taught his parents English. I'm sorry. No, his uh, aunt and uncle. Aunt and uncle. Aunt and uncle, right. Yeah. right. Talk about a tangent. I love how this episode of The Last King Podcast, we're talking about the Paddington movies. Yeah. And you're explaining the origins and the lore of Be- Paddington. Because it's affair. legitimately an amazing movie. It is great. Yeah. It's like, I'm so happy I found someone else so to So please say yeah. ignore all the choices we made earlier. <laughs> Just watch the Paddington yeah, movies. Yeah, no, fuck Annihilation. Fuck I, Tonya. Like, Paddington yeah. 2 is where it's Oscars at. Oscars are overrated, man. Hugh Grant and Paddington tour the force. Indeed, Nicole Kidman was really good in the first one too. Yeah, she was a she was a bit of a caricature. I loved Hugh Grant because he was just like this. Um, it pretty much just made Hugh Grant the villain. Like he's not even playing a character. It's just like. But it's <coughs> if Hugh Grant existed in the Paddington universe, that's what he would be. Like yeah. Cloud Atlas. Just the, <laughs> just an angry uh, actor who can't work with anyone, so Who's he wants to work solo. Self obsessed. Yeah. yeah. Like Hugh Grant. Yeah, like mm-hmm. Hugh Grant exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's self obsessed. Is he? We don't well, know. He, he makes fun of that that our interpretation that he is self-obsessed. Yeah. Because we think that he is. In I real life, he's a, a mean old bastard who wants to be left alone. Yeah. Like, he hates everyone in real life. I'm pretty sure of that. You know what? Yeah. Uh, so, there you have it. Our picks. Paddington, yeah. fuck all the other movies. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what happened to the show anyway. <laughs> okay, so, uh, I'm befuddled now, just like Hugh Grant in all his movies. <laughs> So, uh, that was our picks for 2018 so far. Let us know what you think. Do, are we full of shit or do you agree with us? Yeah. Sure. Or what are your favorite movies? Let yeah. us know. Please. And with that, I have been Eccentric Tom. Uh, yes, and I've been Dr. Shafiq. And of course, uh, our host, guest co-host here, uh, Hits, please. More plugs. For sure. Uh, my two podcasts, Genre Equality and Hot Hits, just released our new episodes. Check us out on Mixcloud backslash Genre Equality or Mixcloud backslash Hard Hits. Okay, now make sure you leave this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>